Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says, Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. I want to talk to you tonight about things we need to learn. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for each person who's come out. God, I thank you for those who are working with our children tonight, our nursery. Our teenagers, God, I pray that you would bless them, use them for your glory, God. Teach our young people tonight how much you love them. God, I pray as we look to your word tonight that you'd be our teacher by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Timothy 4.11, we got screens? Okay. We'll give you one of the cool things about the Bible. Now, Wednesday night Bible study, I'm just trying to get you all to fall in love with the Bible. I'm sharing with you guys the way I read the Bible and study it, so hopefully you can get some good study habits and the Bible can start coming alive to you. One of the cool things about the Bible to me is that even though God inspired the Apostle Paul to write this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, 2,000 years ago, Paul was writing it to Timothy, but God was superimposing it not only to be inspired word for Timothy and the Christians in the first century, but for thousands of years for us as well. That's a really cool book. That, that's a book unlike any other. This was a letter that one man wrote to another man. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. He didn't even understand the, the full authority behind everything he was saying as God was inspiring him to write this, that it would still be in circulation for us 2,000 years later. But Paul was the senior bishop in the earth at this time. Timothy was the first bishop of Ephesus. He was a young preacher. Paul was training him, and Paul wrote him this letter to teach him how to be the pastor that God would have him to be. And in verse 11, he said, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Now, let's talk about Bible study tonight. Let's open up our minds and think together. Let's interact. If the word says teach these things, what things is it talking about? Everything that he just said, because we're in verse 11. Now, if that would have been in verse 1, he would would have been talking about forthcoming stuff. But because we're in verse 11, he's talking about all the things that have already been said. He said, teach these things, the things that he has said. And insist that everyone, what? Learn. A lot of people don't like the word learn. A lot of people feel like they have a learning disability. I've met so many people to say, Pastor, it's just difficult for me to read the Bible with comprehension. I don't always get it. It just goes over my head. The more you read it with your heart toward God, the more God will explain it to you. The Bible says that you really don't even have to have someone else teach you. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you that can guide you into the truth of God's word if you will make yourself available to it. But God says to teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. So I want to go back and start in verse 1 through this portion of Scripture that God has commanded that these things 
be learned by everyone and taught by pastors. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, same chapter, first verse says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. Semicolon. So we want to stop there. The Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. I'm going to teach you some eschatology right now. Anybody know what eschatology is? The study of end time events, the study of last things, the study of what's going to happen in the end of the earth, especially biblically as it relates to us. There is this phrase in the Bible that you'll see a lot, last time. Tells us clearly that in the last times, we are in the last times now. Somebody, can, can anybody guess when the last times began? We're still in it now. Does anybody know when it began? After the resurrection. From the moment Jesus was raised from the dead, they've been talking about his return. And his return was always focused and pressed inside this phrase in the last times. This is the time frame when Jesus is going to come back. That's a pretty wide time frame. If I'm like, okay, I'm going to come to your house sometime between uh, now and 2,040 years from now. I mean, that's a pretty broad uh, range of time. But we're in the last days now, and we've been in the last days for a long time. For some people, that makes them think, well, we're going to be in the last days for others forever. But for other people, people realize, well, it can't last forever. It's got to wind up at some point. And it's gone on for so long already, it's got to be coming to an end at some point. But as you see in the New Testament, discussion of end-time events, you will see that they ramp up hotter toward the very end. If you study the book of the Revelation, the book of Daniel, you'll find out as the end of the end gets nearer, events get bigger and larger in scale. Where it was bad, it goes to really bad. Where it was big, it goes to bigger. Where it was less, it goes to even more, less than what it was. It says, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. So this period of time, the last time, the end of days, has been going on since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and it's still going on now. But we're more deep into the last times than they were 2,000 years ago. And we are seeing more people statistically fall away from the true faith than we ever have before. Statistically, even just in the last 50 years, it's been phenomenal. Church attendance across the world was like this, and it has been back up and down and up and down. It's gra- it gradually has been ticking down o- over the last 100 years, but in the last 50 years, it's taken a straight turn down. And people are leaving the true faith faster today than they ever have. We're the first generation in the history of the world where witchcraft has outgrown Christianity. Over the last 25 years, witchcraft has outgrown Christianity. It's the only generation in the history of the world where that has happened. Why? Because the closer we get to the very end, the bigger last day events will be. So if in the beginning of the end of days, 2,000 years ago, some people were falling away from the faith, in the very end of the end of days, now, even more people are going to be falling away. If you've been in church any length of time, you know people who used to come to church that don't come to church anymore. 
If you've been saved any length of time, you know people who used to serve God that don't serve God anymore. So I think it's very clear to see that we are definitely in this end of times situation because we definitely are seeing people turn away from the true faith. Now, the true faith is not held by any one specific denomination, not held by any one specific local church. The true faith is held by a person. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the truth all by himself. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is wrapped up in him. So what is, is, is Catholic the true faith, Methodist, Baptist, Church of God, Church? Christianity it, at large is the true faith, and we're seeing people turn away from that a lot in these last days. It goes on to say they will follow deceptive spirits and teaching that come from demons. Now, here's, you'd have to study this a lot. I'm going to get through it quick, though, because I don't want to bore you with the details. If, if you like stats and information, then it's not that boring. If you've got a teaching spirit, then it's not that boring. But if you study this out, you would find out in the first century, in a really pantheistic society, lots of gods, lots of different temples set up, all different types of worship going on of false deities in every city in the known world. There were lots of demonic activity. Then that kind of shut down through, through, through the progression of the Dark Ages and through the Reformation. But now, over these last hundred years, we've seen more of the demonic realm jump back up in the history of the church than we have since the first century. Study it and see if you don't come to the same conclusion. But all this is saying is we're close. Say close. What if today was the day? How would that be for you? I mean, what if, what if I, you'd be like, well, I got things I want to accomplish. I get that. But what if today was the day that God said, let's just call it a wrap. Are you okay with that? Are you ready for heaven? You ought to be so ready for heaven that you'd be like, hey, I don't even care if I get to go to Walmart tonight and buy groceries because I, I, I got stuff to eat in heaven. We need to live with an awareness that this life will not last forever. No one's life on this earth will last forever. Ever. Either we will live to the second coming of Christ or we will die and move into eternity one way or the other. We won't be here forever. And we've got to live with a bigger picture that what we're seeing now is temporary. This life we have now is temporary. There's a bigger picture on the other side. And as this thing begins to come to a close, the Bible says there's going to be more and more people turning away from the faith. They're going to follow more and more deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. You can't hardly watch a movie trailer at a G-rated movie without seeing some horror film advertisements, previews coming up. There, there have always been horror films, I guess, okay? But, you know, back in my day, they, they were... You know, if you watch The Exorcist now, you'd probably laugh. That girl spin her neck around and spit green pea soup. You'd probably laugh at that compared to the horror movies they have out right now that make you wet yourself and run out of the room screaming. I mean, the, the generation that we're in now is obsessed with the demonic. They're obsessed with evil. They're obsessed with vampires and witchcraft and all things anti-Christian. And this is all signs that point to the fact that we're not going to be here much longer. 
Don't be so deep-rooted in this earth that you don't have a plan for what's coming next. I hope you have a plan for your next stop. Verse 2 talks about the people that turn away from the true faith. It says, these people are hypocrites and liars, comma. Well, that's something to think about. You want to know what characterizes people who used to be in the real church but left to go be part of something else? Their, their, their lives don't, don't back up anything that they say they believe. They're hypocrites. You say, well, how do we know who hypocrites are? Well, the Bible tells us everyone's a hypocrite. At some point, we all hypocrite. The word hypocrite is an acting. It's a thespian term. It, it means to play two parts. It means to be two-faced. In old school acting, all the actors were men, and they'd hold up the face of a character on a stick, and the guy might be a man playing this part. Then in scene two, he'd flip the stick around, he'd hold up a face, might be playing a woman. He was playing two different roles. He was hypocritic. All of us at some point, hypocrite. All of us say one thing and do another, but your lifestyle should not be that of a hypocrite. The Bible says that people who turn away from the true faith, their lives are characterized by hypocrisy and lies, and verse 2 says their conscience is what? Dead. Their conscience is dead. Let me tell you something. If you can ever get to the place where doing wrong doesn't bother you, you're, you're in a bad spot. If you can ever get to the place where you no longer feel convicted when you do wrong, you're in a bad spot and you need to get closer to God before you cross over to a place where you no longer can feel God at all. People who have left the true faith that are following these demonic teachings, they're, they're hypocritical, they're, they're liars, and they have no conscience toward what is good or bad. Verse 3 says, they say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. A lot of people throw shade on the Catholic Church for forbidding priests to be married, for only eating fish on Friday and use this verse to do it. I don't believe this verse was put in the Bible to throw shade on Catholics. I believe this verse was put in the Bible so that we would understand that it's not the little stuff that matters. It's the big stuff. It's more important that you thank God for the food that you eat than that you eat a certain style of diet. Some people get very amped up. I know people still today. I had someone uh, I saw on uh, social media. They were talking about they were a Christian. They were a pastor. He said, I'm a New Testament pastor with an Old Testament diet. I thought, well, you're just proud, arrogant, and hypocritical. Why, I mean, why would you even say that? You're trying to make yourself look like something? You're, you're no better with your Old Testament diet than you are with the dude that eats pork all day long. I had a guy apply for a job here on staff one time. He said, I- I'm serious about my walk with Christ. I don't eat shellfish or pork. <laughs> that, that's how serious you are about your walk with Christ? You don't eat shellfish? And I asked him, he said, well, the scriptures say don't eat shellfish. I said, well, the scriptures say don't wear, don't wear a garment of, of multi-blended fabric, but you got that cotton poly-blended shirt on right now. So you want to strip down naked or you, you, you want to eat some shellfish? People pick and choose. Listen, it's not the little picture. Here's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to get little picture-minded. 
He wants you to get focused on something that will distract you. Your diet, what somebody else is doing, how somebody else is living, what, what somebody else is about, and distract you because anytime you're looking at something like that, you're not focusing on did you read your Bible, say your prayers, and make good choices. And that's the thing that we need to be focusing on. He, he's, he said these people, they, they, they say this is wrong. They're making rules and regulations about who can be married, what kind of food you can eat. God said all food is, is great as long as you give thanks for it. That throws out all Old Testament diet people right there. Verse 4 says, since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it but receive it with thanks. I was thinking about this the other night. Uh, there's a new restaurant open where the Woodies used to be on Blanding uh, at Ridge, Ridgeview, Ridgewood Baptist Church, whatever that is, at Public Shopping Center right there um, called the Crafty Crab. And we've been there twice now. We went there opening week, and we sadly went back because my kids think it's cool. It's like low country cooking. They boil everything in a pot, put it in a bag, dump it out in a bucket. It's all shellfish. So it's mussels and oysters and crab legs and, and shrimp and crawfish. And it all tastes like plastic with hot sauce on it. <laughs> but I, I'm sitting there thinking as, as I'm peeling through this crawfish. And listen, I, I, I'm, I got family in Louisiana. Okay, that, that's where crawfish eating was invented, Louisiana. I can tell you what, crawfish is a ditch bug with, with, with about that much meat on it and about that much poop in it. So I'm, I'm trying to pick through the poop on this crawfish to get to the meat inside this thing. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if this stuff is good to eat if you give thanks for it. But then I remember, but God said in this text, what did he say? Receive it with thanks. Everything is good. So if you're wondering, should I eat this? Should I eat that? Is, is God okay with me eating pork? Is God okay with me eating shrimp? Is God okay? Listen, use common sense for your diet. But don't blame diet on God. God said if you're thankful for it, eat it. But stay away from that crafty crab because that stuff is rough on a, on a digestive tract. All right, let's keep moving. I'm trying to take you somewhere. Verse 5 says, for we know it's made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. What's made acceptable? The food you eat is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. So here's my question. Do you pray over your food? I think most people do. But I think it becomes so habit that we speak over it more than we pray over it. Prayer is talking to God. Dear God, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a speech. Rub-a-dub-dub, God bless the grub. That's a speech. Um... Do you actually pause to thank God for allowing you to have something to eat? I think that's where we need to get to. I think that's what God wants us to see, that it is acceptable. The food that we eat is acceptable to God by the word of God and prayer. Verse 6, Paul tells Timothy, If you explain these things to brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith, and the good teaching you have followed. So Paul's telling Timothy, these are the type of things you need to be preaching in your church, son. You need to let them know that 
people are going to start chasing after devils and turning away from solid doctrine. You need to let them know that the leaders of those false movements are going to be hypocrites, liars, and they're not going to be strong, morally conscious people. You need to let them know that they're, they're going to look at the wrong stuff. They're going to focus on the wrong stuff. He said, teach these things in your church, and you'll be a worthy servant of Christ. You'll, you'll, you'll be nourished by the message of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Verse 7 is here's, here's what I said all that to get to this. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales, period. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have an opinion about the Bible, because you should. You ought to know what you believe about the Bible. The Bible says that each one of us should always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that's in us. You ought to be able to tell somebody why you believe what you believe about the Bible. But I came to you tonight just to say this one thing for whoever needs to hear it. Don't argue with people over stuff that you don't understand and they don't understand. Don't entertain conversations with cultists. Don't entertain conversations. These people come knocking on your door, want to talk to you about their other religion and tell you it's just kind of like Christianity. Let them know. I'm Jesus only. I don't have time for anything else. Because they want to twist and persuade you into something. And listen, all those other denominations, all those other cults, they study how to argue against Christians. Those people that knock on your door, they've got a little handbook that tells them, ask them about this verse. Ask them what this verse means. And they know how to get you sidetracked and tripped up. And then the next thing you find out is you're questioning your faith. Why? Because you're arguing over something that doesn't really matter. Instead, instead of what? Instead of arguing over godless ideas and wives' tales, train yourself to be godly. That's the five words I want you to see. Train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. That's not something that most people want. Most people want uh, a very, even people who come to church a lot, like us. They don't want to feast on the word of God for themselves. They want it fed to them like a bird feeds a baby bird. Y'all know how a bird feeds a baby bird? Baby bird just opens up its mouth. Mama chews all the food up and spits it down into the bay. This is how average church member comes to church. Okay, preacher. If at all, if they want to feed at all, they want the preacher to do all the work, all the digesting of the word, all the learning of the word, and then just throw it out there to y'all. But the Bible doesn't say to let the preacher train you to be godly. The Bible doesn't even say let God train you to be godly. The Bible says train yourself. To be godly. So many people are waiting on God to do something for them. We've got to start looking at what it is God's expecting of us. God expects us to train ourselves to be godly. So here is where the rubber meets the road. Here's the real question. Don't answer out loud. But think about it. What are you doing currently in your life right now that is training you to be godly? You can say coming to church, that's cool. Hopefully you're reading the Bible. Hopefully you're, you're praying. Hopefully you've set aside a time that you meet with God every day in the same place at the same time because that's discipline. All training that's effective requires discipline. And you can't be a disciple without discipline. 
And the reason why most people are up and down in their joy, and, and I was praying on the other side of the wall, I heard, I heard singing about the joy of the Lord is your strength. The reason why most people don't have the joy of the Lord as their strength is because they won't stay disciplined long enough to do the things that God has told us to do, to get yourself in shape. I can remember when I was getting ready to go in the Army. I didn't have a whole lot of getting ready needs to be done. I was young. I was in shape. I knew, you know, I, I was going to be able to make it. It blew me away. First thing when we got there, they, they took us in, and they had a stage a little higher than this, and they, they had the drill sergeant standing there, stage about this high. They had everybody come up and do 13 push-ups that he'd say okay to, and there were people that couldn't do 13 push-ups. They cycled them out of our class automatically and put yellow suits on them, put, put what we call banana suits on them, and made them go to the fat farm and, and get in better shape so they could endure basic training. But if you have a child that's going to go to basic training if, or if you're ever going to go in the military or you're going to go do something, you need to train ahead of time for it. You should be training ahead of time for what God has for your big picture in life right now. If you don't know what your ultimate destiny is in life or even if you do know what your big picture purpose is in life, you should be in a season of preparation for all that God has for you. Jesus prepared 30 years just to do three years worth of ministry. Preparation is the biggest part of success in any endeavor. Preparation is the biggest part of success. And the scripture tells us that we need to train ourselves to be godly. If you're not doing anything to get ready for what's coming, you got to decide, are you really going to be able to survive what's coming? What if the heat gets turned up on you? What if you go through a trial? What if you go through a test? What, what if God was to decide to use you to be the Christian on your job or in your neighborhood or in your community or in your family? What, what if God was to decide that he had something special for you to do? Are you working out your spiritual muscles right now? Are you training yourself to be godly? Are you going to be able to say what every coach wants to hear from every player? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Most people are sitting back doing nothing by way of preparation. And I want you to change that. I want you to change that early. We are already almost a fourth of the way through 2017. We, 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 we've almost knocked a quarter out. We're, we're three months into this thing already, and some people haven't even got serious about getting healthy in any capacity yet. And we need to start saying, okay, this thing is getting serious, and we need to get serious with it. Days are turning into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and time is passing us by. And I want you to get a training mindset. I know people who had to train to get ready to go to basic training. Go out and start running so it won't hurt you when you get there. Start doing push-ups so it won't hurt you when you get there. We need to apply, listen, what we know. Whatever it is that you know, start there. None of us know everything. None of us know all the answers, but we know what we know. You know what you know about your spirituality. Start there. Start where you are and get better. Start where you are and get healthier. If we were all going to train to run a race, we, we would all be at different levels. I'd be at the back of the pack. I'd just be like, y'all, catch me outside. How about that? Because I ain't running. 
I, that's funny. We'd all be at different levels. We'd all train in different ways. But are you doing anything to get yourself ready spiritually? One day your child is going to need you to be spiritual. You need to get ready for that. You, one day somebody you love is going to need you to be strong. Are you preparing yourself now for what's coming? I want you to seriously consider, are you even willing to train yourself to be godly? Verse 8. I was going to preach this verse Sunday, but I probably won't now. Um, because one of the five areas that we're talking about getting serious about getting healthy in in 2017 is physical. Well, 1 Timothy 4.8 says physical training is good, comma. That can stand alone. Physical training is good. So anybody that doesn't believe in physical training, God said it's good. Anybody who's not big on physical training, just keep reading. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. If you train for godliness, you're going to get benefits in this life and in the life to come. Physical training is good. You should take care of your body. You've only got one body. Take care of it as best you can. But more so than training physically, we need to be training spiritually because it promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. I wonder how much time you spend training to be godly. People who are serious about the gym, they, 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 they spend a lot of time in the gym. Dig and Jimmy's serious about playing softball. He spends hours every week playing softball. There's no doubt in his mind, and Nancy's like, oh, for his whole life, will it ever end? But there's, there's no doubt he's going to give hours to softball this week, this month, as long as his body holds up. People who are serious about the gym, they go to the gym all the time. People who are serious about training for an upcoming race, they're, they're doing it all the time. Are you serious about training yourself to be godly? Are you serious about this benefit that God says you can have in this life? Too many people are fighting this Christian fight on their own. And that's why they're miserable. And that's why they don't have the joy of the Lord as their strength because they're, they're they, they're not leaning on God. They're not trusting God. They're not plugging into God. They're not tapping into God's power because they are distancing themselves from God through their sin and their laziness, and they're trying to work everything out on their own. And then when they need God, they wonder, why do I keep failing? And then they try to grab hold back to God again. Then they grab hold of their foolishness, and then they wonder, wonder why am I failing? We've got to understand that there are benefits in training for godliness in this life and in the life to come. Verse 9 says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Everybody should believe what the Word is saying in this passage because it's the Bible. This passage specifically God says is a trustworthy saying that you should accept. Paul goes on to tell Timothy in verse 10, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. Why? Because there's value in training. Why? Because there's benefits in training. Why? Because there's a battle going on and somebody's got to be standing 
to help others who are falling. The image that God gives us as Christian brothers and sisters is that of a family helping each other. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long, I'm going to need somebody to lean on. You lean on me in areas where I'm strong. You ought to let me lean on you in areas where you're strong. But what if we're just all weak and falling down? What, what if everybody's just raggedy and living sloppy? What if, what if nobody's training to be godly and more and more people are falling away from the true faith and times are getting worse and worse and, and, and the world is getting more and more anti-Christian and opposing God? Then how are we going to be able to win this struggle? Paul said this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. I believe the reason why most people won't train is because training is a struggle. Training is hard. It's uncomfortable. It makes you do things that, that cause pain in your body, cause pain in your mind, make you do things other than what you want to do. I don't believe there's any human being on the planet who wants to get up every day and just always feels like reading their Bible five hours a day, praying five hours a day, and being perfect all day long. It's a struggle for everybody. As long as we have what the Bible says, this earthen treasure inside these broken vessels, we're going to have struggle. And if you're not training yourself to be spiritual, you will lose every time. If we had enough honesty and enough time in the room, and we could go around and say, let's just, let's just go ahead and admit it and be real and raw. If we lined up everybody who would honestly say, I'm failing more than I'm succeeding in my Christian life. And we put them on one side of the room. And we put the others on the side of the room that said, I'm just dominating every aspect of Christianity I know. Do y'all realize the failing side would have more honest people on it than the dominating side? Don't be failing because you refuse to train yourself to be spiritual, yourself to be godly. Don't be failing who God created you to be because you refuse to get up early and read your Bible. Don't be failing because you refuse to put work in. Most people honestly don't believe it's worth it. Most people honestly don't believe that God is worth serving because if they did, they'd serve him more. If you could get a glimpse of him, if you could understand how much he loves you, if you could understand the, the, the good plan that he has for your life, if you could understand the peace that he wants you to be able to lay down with at night, you would realize this is worth training for. This is worth grabbing hold of. This is worth pressing my way into. He said, our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. There's only one Savior. Lost people only have one hope of a Savior. Believers only have one hope of a Savior, the living God, Jesus Christ. And he said in verse 11, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. There is a responsibility on us as Christians to learn something out of the first 11 verses in this chapter. And when you obey God and you do what he says, he promises blessing attached to that. So I want you to find a way tonight tomorrow, the next day, to find something inside this passage of Scripture 
He said that we, we got to learn this. Everybody's got to learn this. I want you to find something inside these 11 verses that you can learn. I think the big takeaway for me is in verse 7 where it says instead. It contrasts what people are doing that's wrong and it shows us what we should be doing. Instead, train yourself to be godly. I hope you'll start training yourself to be godly. I love what Dina said about seeing herself as an athlete. You got to remind yourself of these things. You need to see yourself as a child of God. You need to see yourself as a Christian. You need to see yourself as a man of God. People reserve these titles for, for preachers and, 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 and apostles and prophets and prophetesses as if they've got some stranglehold on man of God or woman of God. Every one of us that's a Christian man is a man of God. Every one of you that's a Christian woman is a woman of God. You need to see yourself that way. You just need to take, take your lipstick out right on your bathroom mirror. W-O-G, woman of God. When you get in your car, you need to realize, I am a woman of God riding down this road. When, when, when you walk into your place of employment, you need, to, you need to know, the woman of God just showed up, and I'm bringing God with me. Every man ought to recognize, I am a man of God, M-O-G, in the flesh, coming at you. Every time I walk into a place, the man of God had just arrived. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I carry God's spirit inside me. And if you're saved, you carry God's spirit inside you. So as Dina had to see herself as an athlete who was in training, which was, was a, a leap at times, I'm sure, because that hadn't been the way you spent most of your adult life. We need to be able to make that same leap and see ourselves as men of God and women of God who are in training for all that God has. I'm going to take one big bullet away from the devil that he can't shoot you down with. Your level of perfection or imperfection does not determine whether or not you're a man or woman of God. See, the devil wants you to think, well, that woman of God thing, that's just for them good Christian women. That man of God, that's just for them good Christian men. There are none good, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. But we also, those of us who are saved, all carry God's spirit inside us. You're not a woman of God based on your ability to live a supernatural, super spiritual, perfect life because no one can do that except Jesus. You're not a man of God based on your ability to live some supernatural, great, perfect life because no one can do that but Jesus. If you're saved, I want you to start seeing yourself as the woman of God in training for what God has for you. As the man of God in training for what God has for you. Are we going to fall down? Yeah, but we get back up. That's why the Bible says a righteous person falls down six times, even seven. The only, the only way to keep falling down that many times is keep getting back up. Falling down doesn't make you unrighteous. Not getting back up makes you unrighteous. 
So you set your mind in the morning, I'm going to go out today and I'm going to train myself. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think the way God wants me to think. I'm going to talk the way God wants me to talk. I'm going to act the way God wants me to act. And then when you fall down from that, you repent of that. I blew it, God. I'm sorry. Help me to honor you with my life. And you get right back up and you do it again. You fall down, you repent. You fall down, you repent. That is how it goes. Well, Pastor, when do we get on the other side of the hump where we just do everything right? Never. It's always going to be this struggle. Paul had this struggle. That's why he said that he works hard to continue in this struggle of doing better and falling down and training and losing and training and failing and training and failing. Do you love God enough to see yourself as his child and prepare yourself for what he has for you to do? You need to get in a training regimen spiritually. Physical training, the Bible says, is good. It profits a little bit, but spiritual training promises benefits in this life and in the next life. You want more benefits in this life? Start training more spiritually. You want to feel better about what's going on in your life right now? Start training more spiritually. You want more peace on the inside? Start training more spiritually. Want more money in the bank account? Start training more spiritually. You want more joy in your life? Start training more spiritually. You want to be able to hear God's voice more clearly in your head? Start training more spiritually. You have to give yourself to this training regimen. It's not that the plan doesn't work. It's that people won't work the plan. Teach these things, verse 11 says, and insist that everyone learn them. You need to learn that there are benefits in training yourself to be godly. The Bible says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. God has rewards for you. I want you to tap into them. But it's not rewards for people who are up and down, shady, in and out. It's for people who are dedicated and sincere. The good news is God lets you start over whenever you want to. And I hope that you'll start over and decide I'm going to get on my training regimen. I'm going to get on my track and I'm going to be who God wants me to be. And I'm going to learn how to put these things into place. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God is winding things down in this last day time frame. The Bible predicts that there'll be a great last day falling away. And we've seen a higher falling away in churches across the world in the last five years than we've ever seen before. And I believe it's just an indicator that time is short. It also says in the last days that God would draw many to himself. And I believe that we're living in that time where we have an opportunity to be used to see many people come to God. You've got gifts. You've got talents. God has provided you a church to come to, to use those gifts and those talents. Get involved. Start doing what God would have you to do and watch the benefits stack up in your life. I want everyone in this room to have lots of things to brag about God for. In the coming months, I want everyone in this room to have tons of things that you're just saying, this good is happening, this is happening, God is doing this, God is doing this, and God is doing this. Because the more of you you give to God, 
the more of God he's going to give to you. He's going to release more to you the more you show yourself faithful. He said if you show yourself faithful over the small things, he would make you faithful over the bigger things. So let's get faithful where we are. Let's do what we know to do. Start where you are, Christian. Live what you know to live and let God grow you from there. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would help us to train to be godly. Help us, God, to love you more than we love ourselves. God, I pray for each person in the room tonight, Lord, that you would allow each man, each Christian man in this room to see himself as a man of God and each Christian woman to see herself as a woman of God. Let us willingly train for your glory. Let us train to be more spiritual. Let us train to know you more. Let us train to understand your ways. God, I pray you'd reveal yourself to us as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.